what I thought we'd do this morning, though, is today is the first uh, Sunday in September. Um, it's the start of a new term, uh, a new year in the life um, of our church. And um, I want to start uh, by talking about Jesus. And uh, as we begin this new year, for us as a church to fix our eyes on him. And uh, this morning, I want to put the spotlight back on Jesus. I long that our affection, our devotion, our love is all about him, all to him, and always about him, and uh, no one else. And it's good to remind ourselves from time to time that um, we gather here week by week, month by month, for Jesus, to worship Jesus. Uh, and that's what we do in this place, week by week. It's about him, to him, for him. And uh, it's also so others might see him as we leave the, through those doors each week, that they may see him through us as well. And uh, our first priority as followers of Jesus is always to love God. And uh, if that's not our priority, then we might as well pack up and go home now. Because when we gather to worship... We are gathering in his presence. Uh, and I long for us as a church family uh, just to grow in expectation that he will move among us. And just, you know, this morning, we've just seen a beautiful sense of his presence uh, moving among us. And uh, when we come with expectation, when we come with eyes that are looking up, when we come with hearts and hands which are open to give and receive, we come with a posture of expectation that he will do more than we could ask or imagine. And, uh, and as, he does, as he does that, I long that he would um, surprise us um, as well. And um, over the last few months, I have been surprised uh, by Jesus in many ways and, um, and what he's begun to do among us. And um, in, many re in, many, in many ways, we've been through a painful season. And uh, it's been a painful season for many people, both those that have come forward um, and have been deeply impacted by the safeguarding investigation that's been taking place. And we are going to continue to pray for all of those who have been deeply hurt uh, by that investigation. But we're also going to continue to pray for us uh, as a church as well. And we've been through a really challenging and difficult season as a church. Uh, yet in it, we have continued to see the kindness and the presence of Jesus among us. We've begun to see glimpses of a new freedom in many areas of the life of our church, and I'm longing for more. In our Sunday gatherings, we've begun to see more spontaneity and freedom in our worship. And um, I just want to share, just a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, on this, on, uh, in our Sunday evening 6.30 service, we gathered, um, and uh, the worship just took off. The young people had just got back from dreaming the impossible. And um, we then invited them up to share some stories and testimonies of all that God had done during that week. And it was amazing just hearing their stories. And then we just gave a little bit of space for them just to share, to, to share some words and pictures of what they felt like the Lord was saying, maybe for some folk that were there that night. And it was incredible. Loads of people responded. And then just to see our young people praying for the church was, uh, was amazing. And then the worship took off again. In the end, we scrapped the talk. Liz was going to speak, and uh, Liz had to stand down. 
although you were quite pleased to stand down, weren't you? He was, yeah. Um, and then we worshipped, and then Bethlin closed the service at 8 o'clock on time. We finished on time. Nobody left. Uh, by about 10 to 9, we had to say, really, we, we do need to go home now. And uh, there was so much cake left over in the cafe because nobody went next door. The staff were eating cake for the whole week. But it was just amazing just to see the Lord just break in and move um, among us. And what I loved about that night was everyone who had gathered had their eyes fixed on Jesus. And he surprised us. He moved in ways that we didn't expect. Our worship and prayer nights have been amazing gatherings as well. And we've really seen the Lord just move among us. And each night has been really different. Uh, but we've encountered Jesus. And if you can make it this Tuesday night, then I would really encourage you to come along. I just think it's so important for us as a church family in this season to keep praying together, to keep worshiping, to keep looking up. And I am excited about what's ahead for us in the months ahead too. But what's so important in this season is that we keep looking to Jesus. And so this morning, I wanna talk about the spotlight on Jesus. And we're gonna look at a passage from John uh, and as a reminder, John's main purpose in his gospel is to illuminate who Jesus is rather than to tell us about what he did or what he said. And my hope today is that we begin to see Jesus in a new way. And when we get a glimpse and a fresh revelation of who he is, who he is, who he is, then we begin to see his majesty, his beauty, his glory, his grace. And then something begins to switch in our hearts and in our souls, and our prayer lives become more energized. Our quiet times come to life. Our worship to him grows in intimacy and devotion, and we then can't contain it, and we'll want to impulsively share what we have with others. And as we focus on Jesus, as we focus on the I am this morning, John's gospel reminds us and points us back to the reality that Jesus is God. He was the God of Abraham, of Jacob, of Moses. He's the God of the Old Testament, the God of the Israelites when they were lost in the wilderness. He is the I am. And right through John's gospel, we see incidences that demonstrated to the people around that he was God. John 8 verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And uh, it's really important for us to just to grasp the context of what's going on here. Jesus is speaking at one of the greatest festivals of the Hebrew, pe of the Hebrew people. Uh, it was the Feast of Tabernacles, which lasted for eight days, and if you were going, you would take the entire week off work, and you would head to Jerusalem, and you would camp outside the city, and over a million people would gather in Jerusalem, and that's like the entire population of Hertfordshire all coming to one place for a celebration. And this festival took place uh, just after harvest in October and November, and it had two focuses, water and light. And it would be the time where they would celebrate and remember God's provision to them, not only for the harvest that had just taken place, but also as an ongoing reminder to them of God's provision and his goodness to them and his faithfulness to them during their 40 years wandering lost in the wilderness. 
And even today, Jews still celebrate this festival and they put up shelters in their gardens. A number of my neighbors do. And it's a reminder to them that dependence is upon him. Dependence upon God is not something that ended when they reached the promised land or when God provided food from heaven. But it's a reminder that even after a good harvest, we need to remember that life is fragile and ultimately our reliance is upon him. And we saw that during the COVID years where we had just to lean in and trust Jesus more. You know, in the last few months, I've had to learn what it is to trust in him more and more uh, in a whole new way. And so over the first six or seven days of this celebration, they would feast, they would celebrate, they would party. And then on the eighth night, uh, the priests would come out of the temple and they would uh, climb these 75 foot high poles that would be in the temple courtyards. And on the top of these poles was a huge bowl filled with oil, which was called uh, a menorah. And the priests would tear off their undergarments and then they would climb up these poles and they would place their garments, which were considered holy, in this, in this big bowl. And then they would set fire to these menorahs. These beacons of light then would not only just illuminate the temple courts, but they would illuminate the land around uh, Jerusalem because Jerusalem was sat high up on a hill. And for miles and miles around in the darkness, there was no electricity, no power, people would see these lights. And I'm sure we've all seen the lights which pour out of Watford Football Stadium when the spotlights go on. It would be even more brighter and impressive than that. And in the midst of this party, in the, in the midst of the celebration, the dancing, the noise, in the midst of this most holy festival, Jesus stands up and grabs the microphone. I like to imagine that he grabbed a microphone. He didn't grab a microphone, but he stands up in the midst of this celebration. And he says, excuse me, everyone, excuse me, I've got something I wanna tell you. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Boom. Mic drop. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what they were all thinking at this point? They were celebrating the lighting of the temple, this most holy place where God dwells. And Jesus stands up and he says, I transcend your temple. I am bigger than your festival and your celebrations. I am the son of God. I am the light of the world. And it's this most mind-blowing moment. And we see this theme running right the way through John's gospel. And just before this, at the start of chapter eight, um, a woman who has been at the festival was caught in adultery uh, with another man. And the teachers and the Pharisees had dragged her in front of Jesus and they challenged him to condemn her to death. But he doesn't. He says nothing. And he stoops down and he writes with his finger in the ground, completely ignoring them as if they weren't even there. Why did he do this? What was Jesus trying to tell them? Why did he draw in the dust? And it was a reminder to them. It was a nod back to Moses. 
when he was all alone on the top of Mount Sinai, receiving uh, the Ten Commandments on those tablets of stone, when the finger of God appeared and wrote the Ten Commandments on the stone. The teachers and those Pharisees, they were trying to catch Jesus out on a technical question of the law. They were trying to convict her of her sin. But in that very moment, their own behavior was sin. And so Jesus ignores them. And using his finger to write in the dust, the finger of God, the finger which wrote the Ten Commandments on the tablets of stone, he writes in the dust. And they knew. They knew. They knew their scriptures. They knew the significance of his finger, just like in Exodus on the mountain, just like in Daniel, when the finger of God wrote on King Belshazzar's wall. They knew in that moment that he was God. They knew he was the Messiah and they fled. They ran. Because in that moment, their own sin was exposed. The light of the world healed their spiritual blindness. And then straight after this, in chapter nine, Jesus heals the man who was blind from birth. How did he heal him? He spat in the dust and he made paste with his fingers. The fingers of God made mud in the ground and placed the mud in the blind man's eyes and he was healed. The light of the world healed physical blindness. And so what is it that God is saying to us? What is he trying to say to us through this? And for some of us, life can be a little bit chaotic at times. We can live in fear. For some of us, we're living in darkness. And maybe we're looking for purpose or meaning. And we're looking for Jesus in the darkness. We're looking for him to bring some order in our chaos. Light in the darkness. Maybe just to shine some headlights on the road ahead. We're looking to him to open the eyes of our hearts so that we might see him and our spiritual blindness may be seen again. And this verse is filled with ways in which Jesus shines his light to us now. Most mornings, uh, Claire gets up before me because she's a teacher, so she heads out bright and early and uh, she leaves the bedroom, shuts the door so it's left in darkness and she goes to the shower and does all her stuff there. And then uh, she comes back into the bedroom and she just says, mind your eyes. And then she turns on the eight halogen lights in our bedroom and I get very blinded by the lights that, that come on uh, until, until they adjust. But it really hurts my eyes until they kind of adjust to the lights that are going on. And uh, it would be far more comfortable for me to stay under the duvet, under the safety of the darkness of my duvet when she turns the lights on, but I don't. Um, because light may hurt, but it also helps. Now, can you imagine my fashion choices if I got in, dressed in the dark every morning? And thankfully, I can see what I put on every morning because Claire puts the lights on for me. Light hurts, but when it's turned on, it helps. It helps. It helps us to see things. It helps us to see what's ahead. Light hurts, but it helps, and it brings us freedom. So what kind of light does Jesus say he is? Well, firstly, he's the light of revelation. And uh, just like when the bedroom is lit up each morning by Claire turning the lights on, the light of Jesus not only illuminates and dazzles as to who Jesus is, we also then get a fresh revelation of him. He reveals to us more of what we've kept 
in the darkness. And for some of us, it's been more comfortable to stay in the dark, to hide away, maybe to cover up sin, maybe to cover up and camouflage an addiction we're struggling with, maybe to not move forward, maybe to hide behaviors which have hurt others. Because when the light of Jesus shines on our mess and our sin, it can hurt at times. It can hurt. And it means we have to acknowledge it. It means we have to realize we need help. It means we have to say sorry and maybe name what we've done. But as we allow God's light to shine on us, to shine in our mess, it will hurt. Yes, it will. But getting it out in the light is so much better. As light brings freedom to you and light brings freedom to others. Light enables you to see another way. His light brings revelation. Revelation of the cross. Revelation of his grace and revelation of his love. He is the light of revelation. Secondly, he's the light uh, of direction. And in the second part of verse 12, Jesus says, whoever follows me. And that right through the, the gospels, we do see Jesus saying, come, come, follow me, follow the light. And uh, last um, October, half term, we drove up to Scotland um, for the week, which was amazing. And by the time that we'd got into the Highlands, it was pitch black. And I am so thankful for my headlights and for cat's eyes in the road. As we were driving in the, in the total darkness of the night, there were deer jumping out and all this sort of stuff. But the headlights on the road ahead, the cat's eyes that I were following, enabled me to see where we were going. It gave me a point of reference and something to aim for. And, uh, and back in the book of Exodus, when the Israelites were lost in the wilderness for years, God gave them a pillar of fire to follow. They didn't go unless the fire moved. They didn't move unless the fire moved. And the pillar of fire led them. It gave them direction when they were lost in the wilderness. And so here in the, in the middle of this Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus is standing up. He stands up and he says, I am the light of the world. Follow me. He gives us direction. And when we are willing to stop, to be still, to open our eyes, to stop hiding under the duvet, his light will illuminate the way ahead. His light gives us direction. Thirdly, he's the light of obedience. And um, when he shines a light we can begin to start to distinguish between right and wrong, truth from lies, righteousness from sin. And for some of us in our heads, we know that Jesus is the light of the world. Uh, but the reality is, is he lighting up how we live our lives? Is he lighting up the decisions we make? Is he lighting up the choices we take? Is he lighting up how we treat others? Is he lighting up maybe some of the things in our life which are wrong? And truth be told, for many of us, again, we can bury our head under the duvet with the lights switched off. And in Psalm 119, the psalmist says this, your word is a light unto my feet and a light unto my path. Are we allowing him to light up our choices and our decisions? He's the light of integrity. 
He's the light of obedience. He's the light of life. Do we know him? Do we know him? And uh, for many of us, we can go through life knowing a lot about Jesus. But do we know him? I can tell you a lot about Barack Obama. Born August 4th, 1961 in Hawaii. Uh, married to Michelle, two lovely daughters, Marlia and Sasha. Um, 44th president of the United States. Uh, he eats six, six eggs for breakfast, I tell you. And he loves chili and he never passes up on a Five Guys burger. Did you know that? And he loves to play Scrabble and poker. And some of you are thinking, wow, John must hang out with Barack quite a lot of the time. And I tell you, actually, on my two-week holiday, I did spend a lot of time with Barack, his autobiography, which is about this thick. Um, of course, I don't know him. I don't know him. I've read the book. I found out a lot about his life. We've all seen him on telly. But I don't know him. He makes no difference to my life. He makes no difference to the choices and decisions I make. And that's the point. Some of us know a lot about Jesus. We've read the book We've bought the albums. Um, we know the stories, but we're not following him. We're not allowing his light to light up our lives and change us. And when he says, follow me, we don't move. When he says, go, we're not going. And for some of us, we've been going through the motions. Maybe we've read our Bible. We've read the books. We've listened to the albums. We've created a life that from the outside looks like we've got it all together. But the reality is we can do all this stuff. We can know a lot about him. But the question is, do we know him? Do we know him? John 1 verses 4 and 5 says, in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. When we truly know him, he brings us life. John 1 verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. His light is for each of us and he shines on each of us. And finally, the light that he gives us is for others too. And in the verse that we've been hanging out in today, it says this, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You and me, we have been given the light of life. He's given it to us. We've been handed this searchlight to go out, to go out from this place and to share his love and his grace that's been given to us with others. Who do you know in your life at the moment who needs to be seen and noticed? Who in your life at the moment maybe is struggling and you know that if they only just knew Jesus, walking the path they're walking at the moment would be so much easier knowing that he was by their side. Who in your life just needs a searchlight shone on them? And um, Mark Green just a couple of weeks ago reminded us that each of us are sent out from this place every single week. You know, we gather together, we worship, we're equipped, we get prayed for, we drink coffee, and then we go. And we're sent out into our workplaces, our schools, wherever it is that we go, we are sent. 
whether we know it or not, and we're meeting people who don't know Jesus, and we carry his light. And often, many of these people, they're just looking for an invitation. They're just looking for an invitation. Who at work can you get alongside at the moment? Who can you shine a searchlight on and maybe invite to Alpha? Who can you bring along to church? Who can you be thinking about and praying for now that you could invite along to the Christmas panto or to the Christmas market? Who do you know is in need? Maybe October half term's coming up. We've got the the family meal boxes that we're going to hand out again. Who do you know that would just be really blessed by a family meal box during half term that would really bless them practically but also show them that they're loved by this community, but also loved by God. Let's dust off the searchlights that we've been given and go. And so to wrap up, as we, as we begin this new term, let's give space and permission for the light of the world to shine in and through and from us. Let's spend more time with him. Let's allow his light to ask questions of us. Let's allow his light maybe to shine on the things that we've kept hidden. And that might hurt, but it helps. Let's look up and let his light reveal more of who he is to each of us. And let's choose to follow him. Let's choose to follow him. Even if following him means going in a costly direction, let's go. Let's follow him. And let's not wait for all our stuff to be fixed and sorted, because as he sends us, as we go out, he heals us, he fixes us as we go. And as we go, his light will show us maybe who we should be talking to, but his light will also show us more of who he is, his beauty, his majesty, his glory, his grace. And as we go, We will grow in intimacy and devotion and love for him. His light brings us life. His light changes us. And his light can change the world through us. And he longs for you to shine his light. His light is life. And his light is life. Amen.